Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. There's a legendary three Michelin star restaurant in Yountville, California. It only seats 60 people. It's named the French Laundry. One of the most difficult reservations in the nation to get. Literally, they take reservations, I believe it's 90 days ahead of time, and within the first few moments, 90 days ahead of time, all reservations are gone. It's owned by legendary chef Thomas Keller. It's a bucket list restaurant for foodies the nation over. Every night, they serve a nine-course fixed menu that costs each person $390 per person for that nine-course menu. For decades, when you said the French laundry, people have thought of gastronomic excellence. In recent years, some of you are thinking something different. In recent years, some people have associated the French laundry with things not related to gastronomic excellence. They've thought of, when they hear the words French laundry, things like political hypocrisy, abuse of power, and leaders who are disconnected from the citizens that they serve. How did that happen? How did it go in some people's minds from this legendary restaurant to the first thought is some of those other things? Well, some of you might remember that during the peak of COVID, as Governor Newsom was imposing incredibly restrictive measures and policies on our state, some of the most restrictive in the country, we learned that he was enjoying a party at this nationally renowned restaurant with a group of his friends and political associates. You can go read the the articles online. It was November 2020. He had just come on on television and on news stations and, and creating a decree and telling all of us, don't gather with your parents and grandparents for Thanksgiving, it's too dangerous. Don't be with anybody other than those that live in your home and, and make sure that we stop the spread. And if you have to go out in public, you've got to be six feet from every person that you come around in public. And oh, by the way, if you leave your home, don't ever take a mask off. Do you remember that? November 2020, joyful times, weren't they? And, and just a few days after he told all of us not to get together with our parents and grandparents for the Thanksgiving holiday, The news reported that he was in this restaurant with his friends and political associates. You might remember this photo in the news. Here he is in the French laundry. Friends from multiple households. I don't see any masks. I think, I'm I'm not a mathematician, but I think those seats are closer than six feet together or six feet apart. And you know, for many, that was really a national news story. It caused outrage for many. Why? Because it was a reminder that that often, it seems, politicians and those in authority often play by different rules. 
It was a reminder of the impression by some that those in authority don't have, that don't play by the same rules and don't understand what we're going through. They don't truly have our best interests at heart. It was during this season, my grandmother in Northern California was isolated in a care facility and, and could no longer, as she had done every week before that, be picked up by my mom to take her to church. And my mom couldn't stop in, and they couldn't see each other, and they couldn't talk to each other. And then it got to where they could look at each other through a window. And while my grandma couldn't see her daughter or her grandson or touch or, or see them in person, this is what those that were imposing those measures on us were doing, and in, in this was representative of what they were doing. And many of us, no matter our political affiliation, did not feel that was right. These, these people don't understand our lives. So the impression of another out-of-touch politician at that time was pervasive. You would think that he would have learned his lesson in November of 2020, that this backlash would have been enough, but a little over a year later, they opened stadiums back up, and some of you might remember this. SoFi, there was a Rams 49ers game. SoFi had a policy that nobody, everyone in the stadium had to have a mask on at all times. They had an attendance restriction. And what came out a little over a year later was our dearly beloved Governor Newsom in a suite with Magic Johnson, not a mask in sight. And this went back to the news. And what was, and this is not a, you say, this is kind of a weird illustration to kick off a Christmas series. I'll get where I'm going. This is not a political statement necessarily. This was an indicator of the fact that sometimes we don't feel like those in authority truly understand us. That they're not living by the same rules we are. And when we feel that there's a leader in our lives that doesn't understand us, what's the natural reaction? We're not going to listen to them. We're not going to follow their word. We're not going to let them speak into our lives. We're going to naturally reject them. Why? Because you don't really understand what I'm going through. You don't really understand what's facing our family. And again, it may seem like a strange kickoff to a three-week Christmas series for an illustration but I use it to remind us when a leader doesn't understand us, we have no desire to follow them or listen to them or obey their words. But Jesus was the exact opposite kind of leader. And Christmas is the ultimate display that we have a God who understands us. That is what Christmas is all about, celebrating a Savior who understands what life on this earth is like. And so, for the next three weeks, we're going to look at the God who understands me. The God who understands me, and, and see how Christmas leads into those things. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew chapter number one. We're going to look at both, um, both uh, um, accounts of the Christmas story in the Gospels this morning, Matthew 1 and Luke 2. Have you ever been misunderstood? You ever sent a text message and it got completely misconstrued? You ever tell your husband to go to the store and buy something and he completely misunderstood you? No, just us? Okay, maybe it's just me. I have a really hard time when I get sent to the store sometimes knowing what I'm trying to find. Have you ever said something that was completely misunderstood or maybe sent an email? You meant one thing by your actions and they interpreted it completely different. I heard a humorous story about three successful sons who decided to try to one-up each other and give their elderly mom the best gift she could get. 
The first successful son, he bought their mom a large house, got her a large house and thought, That'll, she'll, I'll be the favorite son for sure because of the house that I gave her. And the other son bought her a beautiful luxury sedan with a driver that came along with it to take her wherever she wanted to go. And the other son thought, well, she already got a house and a car. To be honest, I don't have that much money, but I want to give her something that I know she likes, and I know she loves the Bible. She's a Christian, she loves the Bible, and so he had, he had heard about, there was a, a parrot that for several years had been trained that all you had to do was give it a Bible reference. You say John 3.16, and it recites the verse to you, and he said, my mom will love that more than a car, she'll love that more than a house. Gave her the parrot for Christmas, and she's gonna, anytime she wants, she can just say a Bible reference. That bird will tell her the reference back. A week or two after Christmas, each of the boys received a letter from their elderly mom, and the first son got his letter, and it said, son, I know you spent a lot of money, but I'll be honest, the house is so big, all I do is spend all my time cleaning it. I don't need a house this big. And the second son got a letter, and it said, son, the car is very nice, but it's, it's a little too fancy for me, and the driver is kind of rude. I, I don't really like it. The third son got a letter, and it said, you're the only son who understands me. Your two brothers gave me stuff I really didn't want, but you're such a good son. Thank you. The chicken was delicious. <laughs> and what is that? That's the son whose actions were misunderstood by his mom. Needless to say, his good deed was not appreciated in the right way. We're going to look at both accounts of the Christmas story today. Would you read a familiar verse to many? Matthew 1, verse number 23, if you have uh, your Bibles, we're going to read that aloud together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. Let's read Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 23 aloud. Ready? Begin. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That is the Christmas story. God, the one that is out of touch, out of our access, out of our, out of our realm of consciousness or reality, if you will, we can't touch him. God, the God of heaven at Christmas has come down to dwell in human flesh. God is with us. What is that, that verse teaching us that God is with us? He came to dwell with us. He understands us. He's for us. He knows us. He's one of us. He's not up in his luxury suite with no masks on. He knows who we are, God with us. Christmas is about the God who understands me. And for three Sunday mornings, we're going to see different ways that he understands us and how that should change us. One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible to me is found in the book of Hebrews chapter number four, where the Bible says this, for we have not an high priest. The high priest was, in, in, in Jewish society, was the most important, the one that had access to God, would go into the Holy of Holies. He was the only one that had that direct connection, that direct relationship in Old Testament times to God. He would go on the people's behalf half and present offerings, says we, and, and it says that Jesus is now our high priest, that he's offering on our behalf to God the Father, but it says we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. We don't have a God that we worship that doesn't understand what we've been through, doesn't understand what we're going through, doesn't understand what we will go through. It says, but was in all points tempted like as we, yet 
without sin. He knows what we face. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain help and find grace, uh, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. One of the most encouraging verses. Why? Because it reminds us that we have a God who understands what we're going through. And because of that, because he does, we can come to the throne of grace. What can we find? Mercy and grace and help in our time of need. So what does he understand? I said we have the God who understands me. What does he understand about me and about you? The Christmas story tells us in this first week that he is the God who understands my fears. He understands my fears. Would you say that aloud with me? He understands my fears. He understands your fears. What's your biggest fear? You don't have to say it out loud, but we have different fears represented in this room, don't we? Different people and different families are scared of different things for different reasons based on different experiences. Maybe some of you will identify with one or more of these. I just Googled this past week the 10 most common phobias, and I looked at a couple different lists. We're told that one of the most common phobias is acrophobia. That is the fear of heights. This, this, uh, this affects, we're told, about 6% of the population. This didn't used to be me, and I don't know why, but the older I get, the more this becomes me. Anybody else in here a little scared of heights at times, all right? And I'm not sure why. I, I follow a guy on Instagram that does these things. He goes up onto, onto towers like this and takes these, and just watching it will make my heart race a little, or just looking at the picture makes my heart beat a little faster. Not only acrophobia, but aerophobia, the fear of flying. We're told uh, 10 to 20, maybe even 30% of adults have a, a fear of flying, and maybe that's some in this room, and maybe that's someone that you know. I, we have fam a family member I know of that hates to fly. That's not one of my fears, but for many that is. There is arachnophobia. The fear of spiders. This was us on a missions trip some seven or eight years ago with our pet tarantulas. Anybody want to go to Honduras the next time we go? We can find these for you. Anybody have arachnophobia? You hate spiders? A couple of us in here. Fear of spiders. There is aphidiophobia, the fear of snakes. We'll leave that up for a minute just so it can bless you right there. Sinophobia, the fear of dogs. And maybe this isn't the one you're scared of. Maybe it's more a pit bull or a German shepherd. Maybe not the ferocious Taco Bell chihuahua, but there is astrophobia, the fear of thunder. And I'm sorry, next there's the trip, trip, uh, trypanophobia, the fear of needles. And uh, people don't like injections or needles. There's, there is astrophobia, the fear of thunder and lightning. Agoraphobia, fear of being alone where escape is difficult. For some, that would be crowded spaces, or it can even be a really wide open space where you look around and you don't see a way where you can find shelter. And, and it can be either one, an open space or a, a place where you're in a huge crowd. If this is you, Main Street at Disneyland for the fireworks show is not your favorite thing, right? You start getting like, I feel like I'm getting closed in on, and I don't like this. I have that, this fear of crowded spaces. Mysophobia is the excessive fear of germs and dirt. If this is you, you won't be watching hoarders television shows. And, and then the tenth one, according to the list, is social phobia, the fear of social situations. How many of you would say one or more of those ten is a fear that you have? It's something that you struggle with. My hand is up. Something that you struggle with. Those are specific things. I'm not real excited to come across some uh, rattlesnake today on the way out of church. That's not my idea of a good time. I'm not going to go seek that out. Those are some specific fears, but 
What about, what about some of the most common phobias in our lives, the fears that we face as we live down here on earth? What about the fear of death? The fear of loss? The fear of rejection? The fear of the future? These aren't items like a snake. We're told that some 75% of people, I'm doing what is one of the biggest fears for some 75% of the population, glossophobia, public speaking. And those are certain activities or certain things, but what about maybe the deeper emotional, not a, not a thing like I'm scared of a plane or I'm scared of a crowd, but the fear of failure in my life, the fear of rejection, the fear of the uncertainty of the future. The fear of what's going to happen here, the fear of tragedy coming into my lives. And if we're not careful, those things can grip us, can overtake us, and can cause us to live in a way that God does not want us to live. It's interesting that in a couple short chapters in Matthew and in Luke, we see four different people who are directly involved in the Christmas story. And we sing songs like, joy to the world, the Lord is come. We think of Christmas as a time of joy and of peace and of hope, which it is. But did you know as you read the accounts of the Christmas story, you know what it was for almost every character that's directly related to it? It was a time of fear. A time of being scared to death. What's happening in my life right now? What is God doing? How is this going to work? And Christmas is a reminder that we have a God who understands our fears. I want you to see these four characters this morning. Christmas, the incarnation of Christ coming to earth, is the ultimate display that God is with us in our fears, and he has come to relieve our fears. The Christ child we celebrate at Christmas is the God who understands my fears. Would you look? We read verse 23 in Matthew 1. Would you look what, where that verse, Emmanuel, God with us, where did it come from? Why was, why was it spoken? Look a few verses back, verse number 18. Matthew 1, verse number 18. The Bible says this, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, now by the way, we just kind of read that and pass through that. This was a really big thing, really big deal. They're engaged, we would call in our culture engaged to be married is actually a little deeper and a little uh, more serious than even engagement in our culture. But they were a spouse to be married. This was a done deal. And he finds out his, wife's expect, his wife-to-be is expecting a baby. And they have not come together in, in the physical act of marriage. So you can stop and think about all the emotions running through this man's life. My life is over. My dreams are dashed. My heart is broken. Anger, frustration, sadness, heartache, heartbreak, all of these things. And it says in verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, he was a good man, not willing to make her a public example. He wasn't trying to to ruin her reputation if it were today. He wasn't going to post all of his drama in his dating relationship on social media. He wouldn't have put a picture up of Mary with some really unkind words. He didn't want to make a public example of her, it says, but he was minded to put her away privily or privately. Verse 20, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. Follow along, please, in verse 20, see it. We're going to see two words. Saying, what did they say? Saying, Joseph, thou son of David. What are the next two words? One more time. Fear not. Why would the angel need to tell Joseph, fear not. And he guesses because he was scared to death. He was afraid. What does this mean for my future? 
am I ever going to get married again? Who, what's going to happen to Mary? How are people going to treat her? My reputation is destroyed. People aren't going to believe that I say that we haven't done something we shouldn't have done before marriage. Not only is her reputation going to be destroyed, but mine is too. What's going to happen? I can't believe this is happening to me. What's my life going to look like? And the angel said, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife. That makes no sense in his, in his brain. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Would you read verse 21 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You know what? The God who understands our fears, you know what the angel was telling Joseph? Joseph, fear not. God has a plan. Christmas is a reminder believer, or if you're here as an unbeliever, that the God of the universe has a plan, and he doesn't want us living in fear over the future, fear over the current circumstances. How is this going to work out? What's going to happen here? Just trust my word, Joseph. Just obey my voice, Joseph. Just trust me. She's going to have a child. I know you I can't comprehend it. She's with child of the Holy Ghost. She's going to have a son named Jesus. He's going to save their people from their sins. I have a redemption plan that I've been working out for thousands of years, long before you ever touched this earth. I knew that I was going to use you and your wife to be Mary to bring forth my only begotten son. I have a plan that you can't comprehend. I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Don't fear. Trust me. I have a plan. And Christmas is a reminder when you're scared about what's happening in your life right now. How is this all going to work out? What is God doing? This doesn't make any sense. Fear not. God has a plan. Obey his voice. Follow his commands. Trust his word. Joseph's life was falling apart. And in the midst of all of that, the angel said, fear not. It's all going to work out for your good and his glory and for the good of the entire world. You don't know what I'm doing or why, Joseph, but just trust me. It's going to work out better than you can imagine. This morning, are you struggling with some of the current circumstances of life? You know what Christmas is a reminder? You're scared about what's happening or what might happen, what's coming. I talked with a dear family in our church. Uh, yesterday was talking to my wife, and my wife told me about it. In a few months, it looks like he'll be losing his job. Guess what that is? That's a fearful time. The company he's working for is, looks like they're either shutting down or having massive lay layoffs the next quarter. What's going to happen? How are we going to provide for our family? Where's this all going to go? What's going on here? We just got this doctor's report that we weren't expecting. How's this going to, what's going to happen here? And how's that going to affect my life? And where's it going to go? And life is full of things beyond snakes and spiders. Life is full of things that cause us uncertainty and that cause us fear and cause us anxiety, humanly speaking. And Christmas is a reminder. We have a God who, he, he's not a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin. We can go boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because I have a God who understands my fears. Skip down, if you will. I'm sorry, turn over, if you will, to Luke chapter number one. Luke, and we're going to stay here in Luke for the remainder of the service, the next three characters. Luke in chapter number one, verse number five. This is the second account in the Gospels of the Christmas story. Luke in chapter number one, verse number five. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, 
and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. If you come tonight, if you didn't come last night, you've got to come back tonight. The uh, Orange County Christmas Experience, the play, the musical, the singing, the village, honestly, an incredible, incredible presentation with incredible truth. And one of the first characters you'll see tonight is Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife. And well, you'll be shocked. We have a senior citizen with child tonight at five o'clock. All right, come back and see it. It's a great time. And she's sitting in here today, and somehow she's not with child, but by tonight she will be. And so we have Zacharias and Elizabeth. These are the parents of John the Baptist. Verse number six. The Bible says, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What a testimony. Righteous before God, doing everything God commanded, blameless, great reputation. You would think, we talked about this a little last Sunday, didn't we? Well, if I live for God and do what he says, everything's going to get easier, right? God's going to answer all of my prayers when I pray them, right? Not always. And, and we see here a wonderful couple that has served God for decades as a, he was a priest, verse 7. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So he's inside the temple, and they had, they had a schedule of priests. Often you would only get to do this a few times a year. This was his chance. He's going into the temple, and he's doing his priestly duties for the, the, the Israelites. Everyone else is outside. Verse 11, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Verse 12, and when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. I like the Bible. Sometimes it feels like it's understated. And fear fell upon him. He's in there by himself. You ever been in a room, you thought you were by yourself, and somebody else was there? You're like, oh, and what just happened there? Or even worse, they did a cutout for our anniversary a while ago. If you remember in the lobby, it was a full-size cutout of me and Tiffany. And somebody brought it up and brought it up into the offices. And every time I'd walk in the office, I felt like I'd look, and there's a me, a cardboard me looking at me. I was like, someone throw that thing away. What do we have that in here for? But these things, someone's looking at me, someone's there. He's in the temple by himself, and he looks. Whoa, the angel of the Lord and fear came upon him again. As we come into the Christmas story, another character as God's working and doing his work, preparing for his son to come, whose response was not joy, hope, and peace, but fear. Look at verse 13, but the angel said unto him, what are the next two words, church? The angel said unto him, what? What are those two words? Fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. We'll see John tonight in our Christmas musical. And thou shalt, look at this, verse 14, thou shalt have what? Joy and, and many shall rejoice at his birth. Thou shalt have joy, talking about John the Baptist, thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. What is God telling the priest who's lived for him for a lifetime? Fear not, Zacharias. Fear not, Zacharias. God hears you. Fear not, Joseph. God has a plan. Fear not, Zacharias. God hears you. You feel like for decades God hasn't heard you, but he has. You feel like for decades, I guess we'll just never have that part of our life that we really desired and hoped and believed God for. By the way, humanly speaking, it was impossible. 
They couldn't be with child at her age. But it says here, God hears you. What do we see in the life of Zacharias? Decades of disappointment. Decades of unrealized hopes and dreams. Decades of faithful service without receiving the joy and blessing of a child. Decades of seemingly unanswered prayer. And in his senior years, he's going to be the father to the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The one who Jesus said, there is not one that is greater, there's not, not one greater that is born of woman. Basically, John the Baptist is the, uh, one of the greatest men to ever walk the face of the earth. This is who God is going to allow Zacharias and Elizabeth to bring into this world. And what does this part of the Christmas story remind us when it feels like we're all alone? When it feels like nobody hears? When it feels like nobody cares? When it feels like we've tried to live for God for decades and it didn't turn out the way we thought it would. You ever been there? I started out in my teens or my 20s and I thought if I do this and I do that and I do this, it's all going to work together. And I got to my 30s and my 40s and my 50s and realized it didn't quite all work out exactly like I pictured. And now I'm a little scared about what God's doing and how it's going to work out. And you know what Christmas reminds us? Fear not, Zacharias. God hears you. God is listening. God does see what you're facing. God does know what you're going through. What is it in your life? Is it the delays, a delay in life, or a detour, a disappointment, a discouragement, some disillusionment that has caused you to despair this morning? I want to remind you, fear not, God hears you. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. God hears us. He hears us when we bring our cares. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. Skip down, if you will, to verse number 26. Who's the next character? It's one we all know. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, a little out of town, out of the way, tiny little city in the middle of nowhere. I've been there. There's not much there. At the time, they believed the population was probably a couple hundred. To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, a little unknown country girl, if you will, getting ready to marry the love of her life, just a plain carpenter. They were just going to build their normal, simple life together. I don't think they had any dreams of grandeur. They didn't think that 2,000 years later, a bunch of people in Orange County, California would be talking about them. They were just getting ready to have their simple little wedding and live their simple little life. And it says, and the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That sounds like a great pronouncement. You are, you are a very special young lady. You would think, joy. Excitement. Is it one of the social networks that it asks, I don't know if it's Twitter or Facebook or what, how are you feeling? You would think she would say, I'm feeling amazing. An angel just came and told me how great I was. But if she was making a social media post, look what it would say, how she was feeling. Verse 29, and when she saw him, she was what church? She was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Put yourself in the story when you read the Bible. It's not just words on a page. Put yourself in there. She's thinking, what in the world is happening? Why me? What's going on? She was troubled. She was fearful. And the angel said unto her, verse 30, the angel said unto her, what two words, church? The angel said unto her, what did they say? 
Why do we keep hearing fear not? Because sometimes God's plan in our lives is a little scary. But Christmas is a reminder that we don't have to face those fears alone. We have a God who understands our fears. Fear not, look what it says, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about, God? And bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, what is happening? And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, look what she says, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? What are you talking about? I've not physically been with a man. What are you talking about? This can't happen. By the way, the words of the angel there after she was troubled didn't help. It made it worse. It's more scary. Now what? Look at verse 35, please. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. What? And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. Look at this. Would you read verse 37 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Fear not, Mary. God can do the impossible. What does Christmas remind us? Hey, Mary, fear not. God can do the impossible. By the way, you say, well, we don't really have miracles. I don't really see miracles like that around me. Did you hear that testimony video this morning? If you told me a year ago, if you bet me, we're Baptists, we don't really gamble, Michelle. If you, if you bet me, if you bet me, I was going to say another joke. I'll, I'll leave that one alone. We're trying to have a serious moment here, okay? We're having a good, serious moment. What did she say, though? If you bet me a year and a half ago that Scott would be getting baptized in this church, I would have taken that bet because there was no way. What did she tell you this morning? God has done the impossible in our family. God has done the impossible in our lives. God has done the impossible in us. And may I say, I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know where God's leading you, and I don't know what circumstances are out of your control, and I'm not here saying God is your genie in a bottle, that whatever your wish is his command, whatever you say, that's what he'll do. What I am saying, he can do the impossible, taking heartbreaking circumstances and using them for his glory. It might not always look the way we thought it would look. It might not always turn out the way we hoped it would turn out, but God can can do the impossible in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in that friend and in that situation. God can break a hardened heart, a cold heart, and make it tender again. God can take a, a Paul, a Saul that persecutes Christians, and he can save them on the road to Damascus and turn him into a preacher of the gospel. God can do the impossible. Fear not, Mary. But God, what you're asking me to do is hard. It's scary. It's impossible. I can't follow you. I can't obey your word. It doesn't make sense. Fear not. I am the God of the impossible. May I say to you under the sound of my voice this morning, would you trust him today? The same God that spoke to Mary and that had a purpose for Mary and that loved Mary and that used Mary for his glory is the same God that has spoken to you today in his word and that loves you and that can use you for his glory. Fear not. Whatever seems impossible, verse 37, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. The last one, skip over to chapter two, if you will, verse number eight. Let's look at the last 
The last character or characters here in the story that remind us we have a God who understands our fears. Chapter 2, verse number 8. And there were in the same country who? What kind of people? Shepherds. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, unknown people in an unknown place, doing an unrecognized job for seemingly pretty unimportant reasons, just out in a field taking care of some dirty, stinky sheep. Verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were, what are the next two words? They were what? They were what? Sore afraid. You you catching a commonality here? Is there a theme? When God starts working in people's lives, it gets scary. When God starts doing things, it gets us out of our comfort zone. They were sore afraid. They weren't just afraid. They were sore afraid. They were really afraid. They were extra afraid. Verse number 10, and the angel said unto them, what are the two words? Fear not. For behold, I bring you what? Good tidings. Of great what? Joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. What does the Christmas story remind us? Hey, shepherds, fear not. God is going to make everything right. Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why is those two little words, all people, significant? Because the shepherds, they weren't really recognized in society. They weren't a part of the in crowd. They were never going to eat at the French laundry. The shepherds were the dregs of society. They were the commoners. They were the ones that parents said, hey, kids, stay in school. See those shepherds over there? If you don't do your homework, you're going to end up like them one day. That's who they were. And what did Jesus do? He said, I, the first ones, God said, the first ones that are going to find the Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes are them. I believe one of the reasons was to remind us great joy, which shall be to all people, not a certain nationality, not a certain country, not a certain socioeconomic group, not, not a certain group of people with a certain giftings and skills. No, it shall great joy shall be to all people, even us. Yes, we're going to make every—we know you've been mistreated in society. We know that you're not accepted. We know you never get invitations. No one likes the smell of shepherds at their Christmas parties. I guess they didn't have Christmas parties yet. Uh, What what party? their, Their Hanukkah parties. Nobody likes the smell of shepherds at whatever parties they were having. And what does he say? I'm going to make everything right. All the injustices done, all the things, the ways you've been treated, you are, you're considered dumb and uneducated, you're mistreated and misunderstood, you're looked down by everyone. Would you see the first five words of verse 11? This is an amazing phrase when you understand who the angel's talking to. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day. By the way, it, it is a promise to us, and we read it, I know I read it, for unto me is born this day in the city of David. But in context, it was to the shepherd. 
words. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I'm going to make everything right. Your life maybe hasn't gone the way you had hoped. You haven't climbed the career ladder, the corporate ladder, the career path you wanted to go on. You're mistreated. You're misunderstood. People think badly about you. They look down on you because of your job and because of what you've done. They they tell their kids not to go into that profession, but I'm going to make everything right. You don't need to be scared. I've got good tidings of great joy for all people. He was born for them, born unto you. Do you ever feel like you don't measure up? Well, I, I made this mistake in my life, and I messed up here, and I carry this scar, and I've got this heartache that I can't get rid of, and I've got these consequences because of some bad decisions I made, and you know what? I'm just not good enough. I'm not worthy like so-and-so might be. I didn't have the upbringing like so-and-so had. I didn't have the family like so-and-so had. I'm just not good enough. God can't really use me in big ways. You know what Christmas is a reminder of? None of us are good enough, but he is. And God came to the shepherds and said, fear not, I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to bring good news. I'm going to make everything right in this world eventually. I'm going to send my son to die on the cross. It doesn't matter, shepherds, how you've been mistreated. It doesn't matter how you've been misunderstood. God can make everything right. It doesn't matter what you've done. God came to make everything right in your life. He came to save you, and he came to forgive you. He came to redeem you. He came to show you love when others have shown you hate. He came to understand you when others have misunderstood you. He came to fallen humanity so that fallen humanity could enjoy perfection in heaven with him for eternity. He came to be with you when others have walked out on you. He came to make everything right that your sin and the actions of others have made wrong in your life. Fear not, for unto you is born this day, unto you is born a Savior. It's good tidings of great joy for all people. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And you know what Jesus was? He was love personified. Perfect love. Tonight in our, our, our uh, musical, there's a beautiful song talks about how Christ was born for you, the broken, the weary, the ones that feel like they're less than. He was born for you, the shepherds. Fear not. I know your life hasn't gone the way you expected it to, but I'm going to make everything right. I'm sending my son to make everything right. Everything that Adam messed up, I'm sending the second Adam from above to make it all right. He's the God who understands my fears. And by the way, he doesn't only understand them. He's the God who came to earth to cast them out. Perfect love casts out fear to make them right. Good tidings. What's the difference? What's the opposite of fear? Faith. What's the opposite of fear? Peace. When I'm scared, the opposite is peace. What is Jesus? The prince of peace. The opposite of fear is faith. Fear is the emotional energy we spend on the unknown. Faith is putting that energy into trusting the one who knows. And so what happened with all four of these characters? They were spending a whole lot of emotional energy on things they didn't understand about what was coming in their lives. And what did God tell all four of them 
all four times, fear not. Fear not. Stop spending that energy on the unknown and start putting your faith in the one who knows. And what is my Christmas message for you this morning? Fear not. Whatever it is that has you anxious and worried, I'm not saying it's not a real thing. I'm not saying, humanly speaking, you're not justified in allowing it to cause you great anxiety and fear. What I'm saying is you have a God who came to take that fear from you, to relieve that fear, cast that care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. Hey, Joseph, fear not. Fear not to take Mary to be your wife. Fear not, Joseph. God has a plan. Zacharias, fear not. God hears you. Mary, fear not. God can do the impossible. Shepherds, fear not. God is going to make everything right. Susanna, fear not. God has a plan. Nancy, fear not. God hears you. Jim, fear not. God can do the impossible. Linda, fear not. God is going to make everything right. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It was all points tempted like as we, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find help, grace to help in time of need. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.